Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here. If you're new here, my name is Aaron Varner, and I have the great privilege of being the senior pastor here. And we're really, really, really glad that you're here and joined us. Just a question as you think about what we just sang. Is there anything better than the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope that's true in your life. I hope that it's not just something that comes out of your mouth, but that it's something genuine in your heart, that you can not only sing it, but sing it with full assurance to know, you know, I enjoy donuts, and I enjoy food, I enjoy making sure my bank account has enough money to pay my bills, I enjoy my lovely bride, and I I love my children. But when you stop and think about all the things that we could have in this world, There is nothing that can satisfy like Jesus. I hope that's true in your life. Amen. Um, This morning, we're going to walk through all four Gospels. I'm going to read all four Gospels to you. Is that good? I just wanted to see if you were paying attention this morning. Um, We're going to walk through the four Gospels, but just looking at portions of them. And, And today we celebrate Palm Sunday. And I've entitled this morning... Uh, are as we think about joy and joy in our theme of living a joyful life, I've entitled this morning uh, Ceremonial Joy. And part of that is, is what we see here is part of the ceremony that was placed out uh, for Jesus. And so I want to look at the text. And as I kind of walk through this, I was going to focus on Luke. And then the more I read through it, the more I thought, you know what, I'm going to read all four Gospels accounts of the triumphal entry. And we're going to just look at a couple different parts of each one. And as we read them together, I want to encourage you, um, notice the difference. Notice how each uh, writer uh, focuses on something a little bit different. And yet each of that is important. And so they're not contradictory contradicting each other just because one doesn't write it and the other one does. Uh, What is great is all four accounts help us to see a better and a clearer picture of what that was like as Jesus rode in uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, we celebrate it today as, as Holy Week. This is the start of Holy Week. And as we start, um, this, is, this is Jesus seeing Jerusalem from afar, from the Mount of Olives. And as he rides in, uh, he enters. And we're going to look at some of that. And, and what, what the Jews uh, were expecting at that time and what they were wanting of Jesus in the ceremony that they were presenting and doing, and then thinking about that in our lives as we think about who Jesus is and and who we think he should be. All that to say, as we think about this Holy Week too, I want to encourage you um, to come Thursday night. Thursday night at 7 o'clock will be our Tenebrae uh, service. And if you've never come, let me encourage you to come. It's a very reflective service. It's for one hour. All right, we, we keep you, it's not even an hour. Um, it's something that as we read through the scriptures, uh, we, we just walk you through the account of, of Christ and his suffering and, uh, and, and, and what the scriptures has, have to say to us as we walk through that. And I just, I, I think it's really, really helpful um, as we celebrate Easter. It's hard to be celebratory until you've walked through the downs the sad, the downhearted, the, the agony as we think about what Jesus did on our behalf and the pain and the suffering. Yeah, we can celebrate on Easter, but I'm telling you, you walk through that on Thursday and you, it carries with you Friday and Saturday and it makes Sunday all that much more special. And so if you're able, we would love for you to be here uh, Thursday evening for that special time together. And then, of course, uh, Sunday, we're going to celebrate together. We'll have uh, breakfast. We encourage all of you. We'd love for you to come and join us for breakfast at 9 o'clock. The kids are going to have their Easter egg hunt at 930, um, which will allow me to eat more food than at 930 when they all leave. And so you too. Uh, and then we'll worship here at 1015. So if you want to sign up, you can sign up. I think there's a little slide there that if you want to take your phones, and you can do that. <clears throat> Let's turn, if you would, with me to our first gospel we're going to look at. We're going to look at Mark first. Mark chapter 11. 
And as we look at Mark, Mark is um, very brief. If you look at his gospel, his gospel is really the shortest gospel that we have um, out of all four of them. And, and Mark gets to the point. He likes action. All right. And so as Mark's writing, uh, he's not going to give us the full details that we're going to see in the other gospels. Um, but we are going to see some things that are going to be important. So uh, let's read here. Mark chapter 11 and verses 1 through 11 is what we'll look at. Mark 11 verses 1 through 11. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside of the street in the street and they untied it and some of those standing there said to them why are you doing or what are you doing untying the colt and they told them what jesus had said and they let them go and they brought the colt to jesus and threw their colt cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. So just a couple quick notes as we think about here. Um, only gospel where, where Mark records that they're going to send the donkey back. All right. The other three don't talk about that. And so it's not like Jesus is stealing the donkey, you know, like, hey, I want you two guys go steal that donkey for me. And while you're doing it, if somebody says something, just say, I have need of it. Tell them that Jesus has need of it. And uh, and so Mark is a little general here in who the audience is of, of who's asking the question of, about this cult. Um, it, it is interesting that, again, what we see here is a very, uh, very specific um, non-detailed account. What we do see, though, is what, as Mark records for us in verse 9, about what those people were saying about who Jesus was. As they're shouting, they're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna comes from an Old Testament text in Psalm 118. So I want to read that for you. Um, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 so Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 says this, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so when we see what Mark is writing, he's saying, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father. Hosanna, meaning, save us, O Lord. So save us, O Lord. All right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but Mark adds something a little bit unique here as he records this last phrase. He said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. And so as Mark records this, he's helping us to see uh, Jesus's lineage and his lineage allows him as calling him from the house of David, allows him the rightful place of being the throne, being king. All right, and so we'll see throughout these Gospels the, the, the purpose as Jesus is coming and entering Jerusalem. It, it is being purposeful in that ceremony of showing Jesus as the king. We see here, Mark records for us, the coming kingdom of the father David. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, O Lord, the one who is above all. Now, let's flip over and let's turn next to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 19. Luke 19 is a little bit more detail, shares with us a little bit more in some ways, and in other ways, he is nonspecific. So Luke 19, and verses 28 through 40. I love hearing the pages turn, which is great. It's not bad if you have an electronic device. That's okay. I just encourage you if you have your Bible. Rhonda and I were talking a little bit earlier. It's nice to have pages. Us old school people. We like that. All right. Luke 19 verses 28 through 40. 
It says, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, This, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So again, this is really cool. I hope it's as cool for you as it is for me whenever you open up the word and things just start being, being uncovered here. As we look at this, we, we find a few more details that, that Luke is helping us to understand. Uh, one of the things that we see here is that the colt has not been ridden before. No one has ridden on this colt before. We also see the interaction of the two disciples when they go to get the colt. Who are they talking to? The owners, okay? So these weren't just, Mark has just these people, a crowd was there, all right? a group of people that asked him. Well, Luke tells us that it's actually the owners uh, of this cult that, uh, that they're going to take. And as they go, um, they, we see again uh, the people throwing their, cult, their cloaks on the cult, giving Jesus somewhat of comfort to be able to ride along. And, and Luke gives us a little bit more perspective as, as they do this. Um, th this is almost like it's, you're, you're on top of the mountain, all right, Mount Olivet. And, and as Jesus is riding down the, the mountain, all right, he sees Jerusalem in a distance, and they're riding to enter into that. So they go from one mountain to another high point where, where Jerusalem is sitting, and, and they're going down. Luke helps us to see that as they were drawing near, verse 37, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. Why? Why were they praising? Luke tells us that they were praising him because of all the mighty works that, he, that they had seen. So these are people that had seen Jesus' work and what some of his works were, we're going to see from another gospel account. But this group of people is, are praising Jesus and praising God because of his work and what he has done. As they go along, notice what they say. As Luke records for us, what uh, this phrase, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember the psalm, the psalm tells us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a key word here that Luke records for us. Blessed is who? The king. So again, in each their unique way, the gospel writers are going to help us to see uh, this account of Jesus as he's entering into Jerusalem, that he is king. And we see it each uniquely what we also see in this account is uh, some of the Pharisees, right? Some of the religious leaders of that time. And we see this account that, that Luke gives us as they are hearing the people say this. All right. They have not yet entered into Jerusalem. It, Luke helps us to see that there were Pharisees in this big group. And so as they hear this, they, they, they actually ask Jesus um, which is interesting. You think about Jesus riding on this colt, and as he's walk, uh, going down the mountain and getting ready to go into Jerusalem, a couple of the Pharisees come alongside him as they're walking, and, 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 and they ask him. They're like, hey, don't you think you should rebuke your disciples, these people who are following you? And, and, and Jesus does not do that. Notice what Jesus says in verse 40. He, he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Uh, that's a humbling thought for us as we worship the true God, the living King of kings, that 
if we don't worship, would the stones cry out? And again, uh, reference back to a psalm that we see earlier that, that the Pharisees would have known about. And so he's hitting them right at their heart. He doesn't rebuke his disciples. He says, listen, I'm worthy of this. And even if these people didn't proclaim that I am the king, the stones would cry out. Let's go to our next account, Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is probably the longest, is, is the longest account, which kind of speaks to who Matthew um, was, right? Matthew was very detailed. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to check out the Chosen uh, series. Um, I'm not here to necessarily endorse it, but I'm not going to turn you turn it down. It's a it's a neat series to think about how in our modern day we view um, um, just the gospel accounts of Jesus as he walked the face of the earth. And one of the things, and I don't want to give it away for you who want to watch it, but one of the really neat things is how they how they portray who Matthew is, and they almost portray him as being on the spectrum. And, and that kind of makes sense as we read the gospel account because Matthew is so detailed. He's very detailed, and, 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 and you can tell the, just the thinking that, that he is, is going on in his mind. And as a, a, a past tax collector, he had to be detailed, right? Collects, collecting the tax and keeping order. Um, so his thinking goes into this as we read here in chapter 21. Um, he is going to be more detailed than, than any of the other gospel accounts. And so let's read this and let's follow along. If you would, Matthew 21, verse 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Verse 7, They brought the donkey and the colt and put them in their put them on them their cloaks and he sat on them most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and when he entered jerusalem the whole city was stirred up saying who is this and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and that the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany to lodge there. Pretty cool, right? So a couple things that we see here is, uh, is this account of the, the donkey and the foal of the donkey, all right? So Matthew gives us, um, is going to help us to tie back to the Old Testament and to bring, bring the Old Testament back to us, just as Mark helped us with Psalm 18 and Luke as well. Um, Matthew is going to help us to understand why Jesus is riding uh, this, this donkey or the foal of a donkey that no one yet has been seated on. Matthew tells us that actually there is uh, a little bit more detail. Verse 2, um, he, he says, saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. 
And so there's actually a donkey, and then she has a baby. <laughs> all right? And so all the other counts, what do we see? We see just the fool of the donkey that's taken. Not that the mom couldn't be taken as well, but we see Matthew in his great detail showing us a little bit more of the picture. And, uh, and, and Jesus helps us, to, as he says, to untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Now, Matthew doesn't go into the details of what happened when they went to go take uh, the donkey. But what we do see here um, is there's a reference here to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah is sharing a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so in doing that, um, Zechariah records for us and says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fool of a donkey. So let's just pause for a second here real quick. We see a fool. Matthew wanted his hearers to understand the, the deep connection, that there was no mistake, that Jesus just wasn't riding on a donkey. He was riding in fulfillment of what Zechariah had prophesied hundreds of years earlier that Jesus had fulfilled this prophecy, that he was not only going to ride on a donkey, but the fool of a donkey. Now, why would Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Well, any time as a military procession would enter into the city after going out into battle, the, the king or the sergeant at arms would, would ride on a horse. And that horse uh, was, was a picture of strength. It was a picture of power. It was a picture of, of the, the might that he had. And conquering uh, the enemies, they would ride in rejoicing into the city. And, and, and people would be, be uh, celebrating. And they would throw uh, you know, uh, leaves down. They would throw branches. They would celebrate uh, as the army had returned. And so the king would enter into the city, into Jerusalem in that way. Well, here's Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, right, the king of Israel. And as he has claimed this, the people around him, as they see his mighty works, they acknowledge that, that he is king. And so they want, as Jesus is writing in, they want to celebrate that. It's time, right? It's time to get this guy as the king of our people. Because remember, again, what's happening at this time and, and the revolt and, and how Israel has been oppressed Right. And, and how how Rome during that time, uh, they were the rulers. And so I kind of tried to think about this this week a little bit, because for most of us, we love our nation. Right. The United States of America. God has blessed us with a great nation. But imagine for yourself and, and for me, it's hard because I've never lived in another nation. But imagine for yourself that you're living in the United States. Right. And and we are not the powerhouse. All right. We we don't have any power. We, we don't have any clout. Uh, we're imagine again that, that we are, are one of the poorest nations that we don't have an army. Imagine that we we are um, at the at the whim of all these other countries. Now, put yourself and hopefully that helps you put yourself where Israel was and where the Jews were, because here they were. And God had given them promises that they were going to be a mighty nation, that others would bow down and they would, they would follow them and they were going to be the leaders of the world. And they were waiting for their king to arrive because that's what needed to take place. And so when they start seeing Jesus and hearing of all his miracles and all that he's doing, they start to wonder and they start to ask, like, is Jesus this king? Is he the one who's going to save us and to bring us to the heights of glory? As a nation, Jesus is it. And so here they are. And, and Zechariah helps us to understand some of this where, where here Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah promise. And so the people are acknowledging Jesus as king. But we're going to see in a little bit what they desired and how they desired their king to act was different than how Jesus was going to come and rule as king. So we see Jesus as he brought, as the disciples brought the donkey and the colt, they put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. 
And as he rides down the road, we see again the acknowledgement, just as they would have for any other king. Uh, the crowds gathering, laying down the palm branches. Matthew tells us that they cut branches from trees. We saw in one of the other gospel accounts that they took them from the field. And so they're grabbing anything that they can out in the fields and amongst the trees to lay down. Just as a bride would have uh, the, the, the white linen that would be laid down and no one else was to step on it. Because that was her entrance and her purity. Here is Jesus, and they wanted it to be miraculous. They wanted it to be splendid. They wanted it to be awesome. Notice what they say that Matthew records for us. The crowds went before him, and that followed him, meaning Matthew is helping us to see there were, there were people in front of Jesus, and there were people behind Jesus. So this is a really big crowd. This isn't just like 10 people that said, oh, hey, let's put Jesus on, on a donkey, and let's crown him as our king. No, these are this is a large crowd, and they are yelling, as Matthew records for us, Hosanna to the son of David. Here again, another account, the promise of David's throne, that the king would be coming and would continue to be established through David because of the promise through the covenant that God gave to David. Here is Jesus, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What's interesting, now we see a little bit further. So the other gospels kind of stop as Jesus is getting ready to enter in Jerusalem. And now here we see Matthew. Matthew helps us as he's entering into the city. So as Jesus is entering, um, people are asking this. The crowds, right? Well, there's crowds around him. But the people who are in the city, as all this is taking place, there's people who are living in the city who are now asking these crowds, who is this guy? What is going on? And they said this from verse 11, the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What good ever comes out of Nazareth? We see in another gospel account. Here, the crowds are acknowledging who Jesus is, um, but notice who, who, who they acknowledge him as. While they will shout these phrases, I believe knowing the Old Testament text, shouting them, they call him a prophet. I find it very interesting that Matthew doesn't record here for us that, that they call him their king. Jesus enters into the temple, and what I think takes place here is I think there's a little bit of a gap. And the reason why I say that is because there's one more gospel account for us, right? All right. Often I think, oh, Jesus enters into the temple as he's just ridden on the donkey. Actually, I believe differently now. And let's turn over to the book of John, if you would, in John chapter 12. And John helps us to see, again, a little bit different perspective of what's going on. And then we'll come back and just highlight the end of Matthew there. John chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 9, and we're going to read through verse 19. John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19. Will you follow along with me, please? It says, And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let me just pause for a second. Have you ever read that before? I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible. And it is an amazing book, isn't it? Sure, whatever you think. It is an amazing book, is it not? And the great part about God's word, and maybe you've already seen it before. I didn't see this before. And it gives me chills because God's word is alive and active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. This isn't just a book. This is God's word. 
And I love reading it. And that's why I had to read all four gospel accounts for you this morning. So as we see this, John is recording for us a little bit of the back history. And so these crowds are gathering. Why? Because of Lazarus. Because of what Jesus did to Lazarus. Lazarus has raised from the dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. Even after his uh, Lazarus' sister says, Jesus, you don't want to open that. He stinketh because he had been dead for so long. All right? So don't be stinketh today. But as Jesus raised Lazarus, word spreads. And as word spread, people want to gather. And we see Lazarus is here amongst Jesus' disciples. All right? Because the people want to see not only Jesus, but they want to see Lazarus, this man who had been raised from the dead. They heard the accounts. Notice what the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they wanted to put to death not only Jesus, but what does the text just tell us here? They wanted to put to death who? Lazarus. I never saw that before. They wanted to put to death the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Why? Because they were starting to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. There was something different and special about this man. And the evidence was right before them, this other living man. So what did they want to do? The chief priests, they wanted, they were making plans to put Lazarus to death, to death too. Anybody who wants to follow this guy, your life was now on the line. Ultimately, that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, there, there is something that is going to be costly to you if you desire to follow this Messiah, Jesus. Let's keep reading now. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Just pause there real quick. So four gospels, right? Each one unique in how they're recording what the people are saying. John records for us here this phrase, even the king of Israel. So John wants to make it very clear to his hearers what the people are saying. Not just king, Hosanna, he is the king. But no, John is going to make it very clear. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This guy is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. I love John's account of that. It wasn't important to him. He's giving the, the bigger picture here. He's not going to get muddled into the details. But he does recall, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Because John wants to help his readers once again understand, just like Matthew, that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy that was told hundreds of years earlier. This wasn't just an accident. This wasn't just some guy who was a prophet. No, he was the fulfillment of what Israel was waiting for. Verse 16, John tells us a little bit more detail about the disciples. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So imagine this. Here's the disciples. They're seeing all this take place, and they don't get it. It just doesn't connect for them. And it's not until sometime later where they start and ponder and think and where it's like their eyes are open and they're like, whoa, hey, Jesus, remember what Zechariah said? Yeah, he fulfilled that. He is the king. He is the Messiah. They didn't understand it at the time, but John helps us to, to see that. As time goes on, after Jesus is glorified, after Jesus is raised from the dead and, and up in heaven, it all starts to connect. Sometimes we look at the disciples and we think that they understood it all. Actually, as, as you read through the Gospels, uh, it was really hard for them to get it. 
Jesus would say things two, three, four, five times. He would tell them about the, his death that was to come. And he didn't just tell them one time. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It's kind of encouraging for me. I hope it is for you. Because I need to be told a few times. That's the beauty of the word, isn't it? That's the beauty as we come to it. We can come to it over and over and over again. And God speaks to us. He's patient with us. Just as he was patient with his disciples. Verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So again, John makes it very clear who the crowd is. The other gospel accounts, we just think there's a crowd that's following Jesus, right? No, the crowd is there because of what Jesus has done to Lazarus, raising him from the dead. And they are bearing witness. What are they bearing witness? That Jesus is the king. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So the Pharisees are starting to get frustrated because they're not gaining any traction. Because these people are starting to buy in that Jesus is the Messiah. And this can't be right. Because why? Because what good comes out of Nazareth? Surely the Messiah would not be from Nazareth. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they all came into Philip who was with Bethesda. And they said, "We, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so there's an account that we're going to see what takes place as Jesus enters into the temple or into Jerusalem. He enters into the temple. But as he enters into the temple, um, we saw earlier in, in Mark's account that, that it was late at night. And so Jesus goes back. But in Matthew's account, he goes into the temple and he turns tables over. I believe as we look at it, Mark's account, as he says that Jesus went in and, and then it was late at night, he looked around was what he said. And as he looks around, he sees these tables and he sees where the merchants are. And so the next day as he comes back in, we see what Matthew accounts for. And, and Jesus is going to continue to have this dialogue. And we see this dialogue even here in the Gospel of John, where Andrew and Philip are talking about these people who want to come and see Jesus. If we go back to Matthew's account and we look at how Jesus enters in the temple, verse 12, 21, it says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who's bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. We see Jesus as he is I'm referencing back to Isaiah 56, 7. Isaiah 56, verse 7, Jesus is calling out again the Old Testament text, helping them to realize what is this all about. They were trying to gain profit and money. And he says, no, listen, this is a house of prayer. Not only a house of prayer, but we would fail to understand as we look at just that. If you go back and look at the text in Isaiah, in Isaiah um, 56, we see that this house of prayer was not just for the Jews, but for all the nations. And so Jesus referencing this, that this was to be a house of prayer, wasn't a reference just to what they were doing and not doing right. It was also a reference for them to understand Jesus was coming not just for the Jewish people, not just for the Jewish nation, but for all the nations. Again, another fulfillment of the Messiah. Verse 14, the, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? And then he's going to quote Psalm 8, verse 2, which when you read it, our version 
it reads a little bit different. He's referencing to the Greek here and how the Greek reads. So it says, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Meaning even out of these little ones, they're going to acknowledge who the Messiah is. It says in verse 17, leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and then he lodged there. It's kind of where he went multiple times as he enters into the, the city and then into the temple. He's teaching, he's sharing, he's healing people. The religious people of that time don't like it because he, he, that's not what's supposed to be happening. The people around, you got to stop to think, okay, they've just serenaded Jesus as he's walked in to the city, as he's ridden on the donkey that no one has sat upon, left alone for himself, as he's ridden on this, the, the, the fool of a donkey. And then he starts talking, teaching, and healing people. But when is he going to take his stand? When is he going to start to take his rulership as king. Jesus, as he sees the city, we see he cries and he mourns as he looks upon the city, as he's entering into it. Because they don't get it. They're not going to be able to understand. They're not understanding and grasping why he was there. I think we can do the same in our lives today. And I ask you, as you think about the text that we've read, what kind of king are you wanting Jesus to be for you? I think sometimes it's real easy for us to play the ceremony. We, we can do all the right things. We can sing. We can say. We can, we can try to, try to uh, you know, show up at the right time, at the right place to do the right thing. But that, that, I will tell you, that doesn't last long. Because God's made us desiring, Paul tells us in Romans, that we desire to know God. We desire to know him in an intimate way. So God, desiring to love us, showing his love, has sent his son Jesus. Jesus coming, ultimately Dying for you and me in our place. He took our sin, our disobedience, as he hung on the cross. And then he was buried. So think about the crowds as they clamoring and proclaiming, Jesus, you're our king. Some of them will be the same people who will cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Some will cast insults at him as he's hanging on the cross. Some will spit on him and say, prophesy, tell us who just did that. See, we want Jesus to show up in our way as king. And sometimes when Jesus doesn't show up as king how we want him to, while we may not crucify him, there are some who will cast insults, some who will become mad and bitter, some who will walk away from their faith. I ask you today, do you trust Jesus as king of your life? He wants to rule in your heart. He wants to have control. I'm a man, which by the way, just to let you know, being a man, I like control. I don't know if any of you like that or not, but when things don't go my way, I start to question. I start to try to fix it. I start to try to put things together and then sometimes God, in his great love, allows me to go down a trek where it gets even worse. Where what started off as something little becomes greater and harder and more difficult. 
to the place where now I'm really in desperate need. Any of you who own a home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You start a project and then all before you know it, it's a lot bigger. Guys, that's what happens in our life when we're not willing to surrender to the king. Don't be ceremonial, joyful, and celebrating Jesus just on a Sunday morning. Celebrate him throughout the week. Give him the rightful place in your life. Allow him rule to reign as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as the great prophet, right? No. The text tells us we will confess him as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. It's easy to say, isn't it? Just kind of rolls off the tongue. But how we live, how you and I think, the decisions that we'll make this week, the choices that go on in our home, how we view other people, and how we even view ourselves, is all centered and tied to do I acknowledge and will I live in such a way that says Jesus is the king of my life? Meaning that as we read his word and he says something to us, then we should do it. It doesn't mean that we have options, that we can do it when we want to do it, or I can say what I want to say, or I can believe what I want to believe. No, if we acknowledge Jesus as the king, that he is ruler of all, and that he has paid the price that we deserve to pay so that we can have a relationship with the eternal God, then we need to listen to his word. We need to obey it. We need to live it out. And what I love about this word is it helps us to grow and understand the heart of who God is. For those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is now no condemnation in us. So it isn't as God is looking over us as king ready to punish us. No, Paul tells us where, where sin abounds, grace abounds, all the more. What an awesome God. That I'm not going to be perfect, but my king is perfect. And I can follow him and I can trust him. And I can obey him. God's word is awesome, is it not? We need to listen to it. It tells us that Jesus is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. As we close, I want to ask you, what distracts you from fully trusting Jesus as the king of your life? What's distracting you from fully committing? Fully going in and saying, this is my heart. This is my life. It's all yours, Jesus. Os Guinness says this, that, that Satan uses weapons of mass distractions. Not weapons of mass destruction, but weapons of mass distractions. We can become easily distracted. So what distracts you from fully committing Jesus as king? How is your life living it? How is your life showing to those around you and to a lost world that Jesus truly is the king of kings and lord of lords? Will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you. Thank you that we can see the significance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It wasn't just a political place. It wasn't just so that the people could see him and his kingship. What they wanted from him didn't match up to how he lived he didn't go to a palace, but he went to the temple. His entry wasn't political, it was spiritual. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. 
he extends that forgiveness to us as Gentiles. How awesome it is that we can worship, that we can honor, that we can live for the true King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus entered on the colt of a fool, the colt of a donkey, the fool in humility, not on a white, awesome, pure horse. He enters to the temple and to the city humbly, weak, lowly, as a servant. What a picture for us as we live our lives that we can follow our king in that way. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who is yet to claim Jesus as the savior and king of their life, I pray that they would acknowledge and believe and trust Jesus today. Claiming that gift of forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we look at our hearts and the things that can so easily distract us from fully committing Jesus as the king of my life today and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, we come humbly confessing that we, we are sinners. And Lord, I am sorry that I have replaced you at times as the king of my life. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. And I, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us as a people, as a nation. And we've replaced you on the throne. So help us with our distractions Help us to keep our eyes, our hearts, our minds in tune. As we go throughout this week, Lord, may it be something that we are able to recall over and over again. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Just as they shouted Hosanna, they were looking for a Savior. We have a savior and his name is Jesus help us to honor you we pray this in the name of Jesus amen